0: And it's great to see, this is an awesome 8.30 crowd for us. Thanks for uh, getting up early and being here with us. We want to keep seeing this service grow, uh, so you're here. So keep coming. Keep coming to 8.30, and uh, let's keep growing this crowd uh, as we get started today. Hey, we're continuing in a series this morning uh, called Red Letter Day, and we're looking at five important statements that Jesus made while hanging on the cross at Calvary. Uh, and this series is going to take us up to Easter a couple of weeks from now. And speaking of Easter, I, I want to tell you about some really important things that are happening here. Easter weekend, uh, again, in just two weeks. Uh, first of all, we're going to be offering five identical worship services, uh, Easter weekend starting on Saturday, uh, Saturday with services at 4.30 and 6 o'clock and then our regular service times on Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15. Uh, we're expecting our largest crowd ever uh, for Genesis Church on that particular weekend. It's a great celebration. We're expecting a number of visitors, and I need your help. Uh, if you call Genesis Church your home, even if you don't, and you're here today and you're willing to hear this, would you be willing to worship with us at 4.30, at 6 o'clock, or at 8.30 on Sunday morning? Uh, we know that the optimal times of worship for many people, especially our guests, are going to be 9.45 and 11.15 on Sunday. Uh, and so will you do your part? Come celebrate with us uh, at 4.30 or 6 or at 8.30 in the morning, and let's leave open as many seats as possible for our guests that will be coming at those 9.45 and 11.15 hours. Uh, but there's also something I want you to be thinking about and that is who you're going to invite. Uh, Who's waiting for your invitation to be here? Is it that neighbor, that family member, uh, that friend? Uh, We've got a bunch of these invite cards that list the service times. Uh, They're in the seat backs around you. They're back at the Welcome Center, uh, the Info Hub. We can give you some of these as you go today, and you can use this as a great conversation starter in uh, handing out your invitation. Also, on Good Friday, uh, we're going to be having an experience. It's a little different than what we've done in the past couple of years. Uh, But this church, this building is going to be open from 11 in the morning till 7 o'clock at night. Uh, for you to come and go. And we're going to create an environment here where you can come, have your own space, take your own time. Uh, There'll be communion here. We'll have some hosts here that will be here to help you with your time. And and whether you stay for 15 minutes or two hours, uh, this building will be available to you on Good Friday, uh, uh, again, from 11 o'clock to 7 o'clock, that you can come and go as you please. Uh, John chapter 19 uh, is where we're going to be today uh, for just a bit. And then we're going to move on to some other scripture. But John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, uh, again, as we continue in Red Letter Day, let me read this for you. Uh, It says, later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it, jesus lips you know we see here that jesus experienced a common bodily need while he was hanging on the cross and during this crucifixion he was thirsty Uh, And can you blame him for being thirsty? I mean, he's been hanging there since about nine o'clock in the morning, suffering through the agony of crucifixion for almost six hours now. And for most of these agonizing hours, he's been silent, uttering only four brief statements while hanging on the cross. We looked at two of them the past couple of weeks. We'll look at another today and then a couple of more these next couple of weeks. Uh, But now this one, which, which comes out of nowhere, it almost seems like just moments before his death, Jesus mutters a statement that helps us understand his condition and the intensity of his suffering john says it like this later knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled jesus said i am thirsty now these three words i think are really important as they remind us that jesus is and what we like to call the incarnation Uh, if you've been around church for a while you've maybe heard this term before what does it mean what does it mean for jesus to be the incarnation it's two things First of all, if you're taking notes, you can write down the incarnation means that Jesus is God. The incarnation means that Jesus is God, that he is nothing less than completely God. We call him the son of God. Uh, And for Jesus to be the incarnation means that he came to this earth as God. Now notice how John chapter 19 verse 28 starts again. There's, There's a key word there. It says later, knowing that all was completed... Uh, The word knowing here uh, means to know something intuitively. Uh, It's to have the facts logged within one's memory and be able to call them to mind as needed. Now, what's in Jesus' mind at this moment? I believe it's the Scripture's. Uh, The word of God is in his mind. It's like Jesus is hanging here on the cross in this moment and he's reviewing all of the promises of God in his mind. He's fully aware of all that the Bible prophesied about him, about the Messiah, even as far back as the Old Testament. And so it's almost like he's going down this mental list, making sure that he has fulfilled everything that the scripture said about him. Things like born to a virgin, check. Uh, Born in the city of David, check. Uh, Sold for 30 pieces of silver, check. Uh, uh, Deserted and denied by his disciples, check. Humiliated, wounded, and pierced, check. Hands and feet pierced, check. I mean, did you know that in his lifetime, Jesus fulfilled 332 distinct prophecies from the Old Testament? And Jesus was aware of every single one of them. It's why in John chapter 19, verse 28, he could say, Jesus could say, it is complete. And as we'll talk about next week, it is finished. All scripture has been fulfilled. Mission almost accomplished, as planned, as promised. And then he cries, I'm thirsty. You know, another fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Some scholars believe that uh, these words uh, come from directly from Psalm chapter 69, verses 20 to 21, uh, when David was speaking. And, and he, is, he is speaking ahead of the Messiah who's to come. And he writes these words, scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. You know, another prophecy fulfilled in Jesus' words, just as the Scriptures promise. And it's all happening. It's all coming together just as God had planned. And and I know that it might be a little difficult uh, to understand why the fulfillment of prophecy is important in Jesus' life, but don't overlook it. Because it reminds us that God's plan is perfect. It reminds us that God's plan has a purpose. And because God is holy and true, he must be true to his word and what it says. And so when Jesus utters these words, I am thirsty, he reminds us that as the incarnation, he is God. But it also shows us that as the incarnation, Jesus is also a man that Jesus is man, that Jesus is fully God, nothing less than God. But what made God unique, what made Jesus unique, is that not only did he come down to this earth for us as God, but he took on the form of a man, he took on the form of a human and became like one of us so that he could experience many of the longings and desires and needs that you and I have. And so when Jesus said, I am thirsty, it doesn't so much mean that the Almighty God was looking for a drink in this moment as nearly as much as it gives us another glimpse of his humanity. His body cried out for water, just like yours and mine would. I don't know about you, but I can find encouragement from what appears to be a pretty simple statement. You know, I I can look at a statement like this and, and be encouraged as I'm reminded once again that our Savior, Jesus Christ, that he can relate with me. He can relate to many of the things that I experience, that you experience. You know, study all the world religions and find one God who is willing to take on human form and bear many of the same pains, longings, and sufferings that you and I do, things that we experience every day. And that's Jesus. Uh, He is the sinless one. He became like one of us. He is the incarnation, the Son of God who came to this world, lived and died, so not only that he could save us, but so that he could relate with us too and understand what we're going through. Because the truth is we all get thirsty, right? Uh, we all get thirsty once in a while, and some people thirstier than others. I, I know people, I don't know if you do, that always seem to have a water bottle in their hand, or they always have a cup uh, in their hand because they're so thirsty. They're always needing something to drink. And in fact, uh, I pulled up one of these here. Uh, we've been using a lot of these things around here lately, these big water bottles, and, and you see them out there in the cafe. Uh, it used to be uh, that we, one of these would go a long way for us. And uh, we we could get by, but now we're using more and more of them. And I think it's great. I'm glad that we're using lots and lots of water. And did you notice that we have a water fountain? Friends, do you notice that we have a water fountain in our building now? It's like we are officially a church uh, because we have a water fountain. And uh, right outside these doors, I don't think you're supposed to use it yet. I think there's a sign on there that says don't use it. I'm trying to get them to hook Mountain Dew up to it or something. You know, I thought that would be great uh, or something. Maybe you've got a request or whatever. But, but we're really coming along. We're officially a church because we've got this water fountain. But, but seriously, we all get thirsty, right? Um, our bodies were designed in such a way that we require water, we require fluids for energy, uh, for strength. I mean, think about an athlete and think about a runner and how their body uses up so many of the fluids that are there and they have to be rehydrated. Uh, we, need keep, we need water to, to keep moving, to keep going. Our, our, our bodies require water for strength. You know, but, while, but while water like this can go a long way in helping to meet the physical needs of our life, it can only go so far in providing the strength that we need to face some of life's difficult circumstances and some of the greatest challenges that we'll see. I mean, what about uh, the strength that you might need to get through these next few weeks of a really challenging semester? Uh, What about the strength that you might need to help your son or your daughter go through a really difficult time at school right now? Uh, What about the strength that you might need uh, to help your mom or dad as they face this new reality of aging or uh, to work through uh, the worst season of marriage that your life has ever seen. Where does strength like that come from? And, and wouldn't it be great if it were so simple that it could come from a bottle like this, You know, that we could just set up a bottle like this in the building with some sort of magical spiritual water? that you could grab a cup or something and you could just walk up there and fill it up and you could get a little sip and, and you'd be ready to go. It'd be like all that you need for your spiritual needs, for all of your emotional needs, just a little cup of this water. You know, guaranteed for strength so that you'd finally have the strength that you need to invite that friend to church or uh, guaranteed strength for uh, the difficulties that you're facing when it comes to love or companionship or guaranteed strength that you would need as you, as you look this eating disorder right in the eye wanting to overcome it. I mean, water from a bottle like this can give you the physical strength to do a number of different things when you're thirsty. But when the uncertainty of tomorrow or next week or next year uh, is looking you, you know, straight in the eyes, you know, water like this will only go so far. But we all need strength, and Jesus knows this. And he knows that we thirst for strength, uh, strength that only heaven can provide for us. If you've got your Bibles there, uh, turn over to John chapter 15. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at some other red letter statements that jesus made but not on the cross Uh, Jesus spoke these words one day before the cross and and so the cross is close for him and he knows it Now jesus lived in a day uh, in in a period in a society that we would call an agrarian society It meant agriculture Uh, There were a bunch of people around him that knew about things like farming and plants uh, And growing things now you don't have to be a farmer, you don't have to be a gardener to realize how important water is uh, for a plant, uh, for strength, you know, for energy, you know, to keep it alive. You know, what happens to a thirsty plant? Well, if you let it go long enough, eventually it's going to wilt and die. And so a plant has to be cared for. Um, a plant has to have plenty of water. A plant has real needs for strength, uh, just like we do. And so when Jesus spoke here in John 15, uh, he was using terms and he was using visuals that people could easily relate to. And so with John 15, uh, Jesus, again, he is speaking the night before he's crucified. He doesn't have a lot of time left. Uh, He's with his disciples, and he's got just a few hours to go before he is separated from them. Uh, And so he's not going to miss this opportunity uh, to share some really important words with them before he goes. Because the disciples knew that something was coming. Uh, Jesus had talked about the cross. He had talked about his last days and they would be difficult. And I think they were afraid. I think they were anxious. But I don't think they realized fully what was going to happen. And so Jesus picked up on this. Uh, He picked up on their fears. He picked up on their concerns. Uh, And he knew that when things got rough, that they were going to go looking for strength, but strength that only he could give. And, And the amazing thing about Jesus is this. Not only was he aware of their needs for strength then, but I believe that when he spoke these words, he was aware, He would be aware, he was aware of our needs for strength even today. Again, it's his ability to be both God and to be man at the same time. Uh, and he knew these guys here would face some great challenges in their coming days, but he knew that you and I would too. Do you know and realize that Jesus is aware of your greatest needs for strength right now? Uh, he is fully aware of the circumstances that stand before you, that you face today, tomorrow, uh, in the coming days. What's coming up this next week or this next year? I mean, He knows, and He knows right now that you're thirsty, and that you're thirsty for strength. You know, where is that uh, thirst for strength most evident in our lives? Well, I think we're thirsty for strength when we, when we don't think we can keep going when we don't think we can keep going. I mean, do you find that to be true? I mean, some of you are dealing with circumstances in your life right now, uh, circumstances that you would never have dreamed of dealing with, and whether it's the loss of job, uh, when a couple of years ago, um, you thought you couldn't go, that you you would just keep going, that nothing was going to be able to stop you from climbing the ladder of where you were. Or maybe it's in your marriage right now and you entered this so-called fairy tale marriage and there was the engagement and there was the wedding and there was this perfect honeymoon. But now you realize that he doesn't hang his clothes up in the closet the same way that you do, you know? And and you're going through some difficult times there right now. Now, some of you are going through rough, uncertain times. You know, you're experiencing a crisis that you saw in someone else's family, but now it's come into your life. And you never thought it would come to you. And, And when stuff like this happens... You know, we wonder where's, where's my strength going to come from? How am I going to get through this? I, I think we're thirsty from, for strength when we're trying to defeat temptation, you know, because we're all tempted. You know, we all try and overcome temptation, and, and it takes a lot of strength. And your heart and your intentions might be right in overcoming temptation right now, but, but you know and you realize that you stumble and you stumble over and over again because you don't have a strength, the strength enough on your own to defeat this. You know, I, I've talked with people. Uh, I've talked with men who have struggled with pornography. And it's a trap for many people, especially men today. And most people who struggle with it don't want it in their lives. And they realize how it's dangerous. And they realize how it can, can warp your sense of thinking uh, and the way that you view others. And they want to do r- right, uh, but they can't find the strength. They just can't seem to find the strength. I, I think we're thirsty for strength to help us do what we should to do what we know we ought to do. You know, every one of us in this room has an imagination. And if you could get to a place of peace and quiet and allow your imagination to wander a little bit, I'm sure it's possible that you could picture in your mind the type of person that you'd really like to be, uh, the type of husband that you'd like to be, the, that perfect mom that you'd like to be, that, that right son or that right daughter, or it's a picture of courage. You know, maybe it's a picture of faithfulness for you. It's a it's a picture of loving life and, and living life to the full, giving it all that you have. But where do you get the strength to do that? You know, and every once in a while we come into this room and and you hear something or you experience something and you march right out of these doors and you know we all say, you know what, I'm going to go do it, uh, but then Monday happens, and we're like, okay, where do I get the strength now to face this? You know, I, I want to be more patient. I want to trust God. You know, I want to leave work at work and and be fully present with my family at home, but how do I get the strength to do that? You see, we're all thirsty. And I think it's important to know and realize that God created you that way. He created you with this thirst, this need for strength. And Jesus knows this about you and me, and he knows this about his disciples. And so as they emerge from this room, after having shared this last supper together, they start walking, and they're walking through these gardens, and they're on their way to Gethsemane. And I can imagine Jesus stopping along the way and coming up next to a vineyard and holding it even in his hand and saying these words in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, when Jesus says, you know what? I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Now again, Jesus wants to take these last moments with his disciples to help them understand how important their relationship with him is. And what does he say? He says, hey, I'm like the vine here. You, me, us, uh, you're like the branches. I'm the vine, you're just a branch. You know. And when we're disconnected from the vine... When we're disconnected from our source of strength, we'll struggle to find energy. We'll struggle to find the strength that we need. We might survive for a while, but do you know when you're disconnected from that vine, eventually you're going to die, death is certain. But where does the strength for the branch come from? It comes from the vine. The strength between the vine and the branch comes in that connection. It comes in that relationship. You know, strength doesn't come from the branch. Again, it comes from the vine. It's the source. Now, what does this mean for you? What's it mean for me? I mean, how do we find the strength to carry on when you're thirsty? You know, when you feel like you're running on empty, you feel like you've got nothing left to give. Well, I think these verses suggest a few things for us that things that we ought to do, things that we need to keep in mind as we go searching for strength. The first thing is this it's pretty obvious, but that is that we have to admit that we're weak. Uh, You and I have to admit that we are weak on our own. If you're going to strive, find strength in the vine, strengthen the source, Jesus Christ, you have to admit that on your own, you're weak. Uh, it's like coming to this place where you acknowledge, you know what? I'm just a branch. I'm just a branch. I'm not the vine. You know, I'm weak. You and I, we're weak on our own. But and the thing is that we don't like to admit that we're weak. We don't really like to do that. Uh, Because we're not supposed to. That's not what our our society teaches us today. I mean, uh, think about interviewing for a job tomorrow. You know, what's any good employer? What's the most likely question that they're going to ask you at some point through that interview? What's your greatest weakness, right? They're going to ask you that question. You're going to be expected to answer it and answer it right. Because if you don't have an answer, you're a liar. You know, and if you answer it too confidently, well, then you're just arrogant or something. And so what do you do? Well, I I like what monster.com, a a hiring service, has to offer about this. They offer some suggestions on interviewing and how to respond to a question like, uh, what is your greatest weakness? And what they suggest is that you disguise your answer. You disguise your answer, uh, your weakness, so that it really becomes a strength for you. And if you've interviewed before, you know that that's the case, and you've probably done the same. And, And so if someone asks you, what's your greatest weakness?, uh, and you re- then you respond with something like, well, I'm a perfectionist, you know, or I like to work really, really hard, or I- I'm guilty of getting to the office early, and I usually am wanting to stay as late as they'll allow me, and I'll work from home, and I'll do everything that I can to make sure that the job gets done perfectly. Uh, and so you see that the goal is to admit the weakness, but you kind of disguise it in such a way that it's really a strength, Right. Well, another suggestion uh, for dealing a qu- with a question like, you know, what's your greatest weakness, uh, is to uh, do something else, to actually uh, reflect. Uh, it, to another something uh, to something that d- isn't really relevant and so it kind of goes like this if you're an accountant or something and And maybe you're interviewing for a job in your field uh, And the, the employer asks you what's your greatest weakness? You don't say well, i'm not really very good with numbers, you know, or or you know what math is a killer for me I mean, I just have never really done well in math or whatever, but no you you, you put it on something else So if they say well, what's your greatest weakness? You say you know what? I'm not really very good with a three iron. Yeah, I mean, it's just really been a weakness for me or actually I don't wear the color green very well. And and so that's always been a struggle for me in life. And and so you just come up with something irrelevant, uh, but don't you dare admit that you're weak. And unfortunately, that's pretty much how we do life. Uh, Don't you dare admit that you're weak. You know, because our tendency is to always disguise, uh, to put on this disguise that says, you know what, I've got it all together. Um, I, I can get through this on our own. And we do it around our families and friends. We do it when we come in here on Sundays. Think about how many times you sat there with your connection group and you've looked them in the face and you've lied to them about, yeah, everything's going great. Yeah, our marriage couldn't be better. And yeah, nothing's really on my heart right now. But you, you, you don't dare let anyone know that you're vulnerable. And so we don't like to admit that we're weak. And so we put up this front that says, you know what, I'm strong. I'm strong on my own. We can handle anything, right? But the Bible says this. The Bible says that if we're going to find strength in the vine, if we're going to find strength in Jesus, then we have to admit that we are weak on our own. We're just a branch. A few verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, this verse reminds us that when we admit our weaknesses, That we are actually putting ourselves in a greater place to receive the strength from God. That we are in this prime place for his work. And again, that's why this relationship, that's why this connection between the vine and the branch is so important. And we need to get this right. Jesus is the vine. You and I, we're like the branch. Strength and energy comes from the vine. The branch doesn't produce it on its own. Now notice again what John 15 says. Jesus says, I am the what the true vine he starts off by saying i am the true vine he, he says that i am the true one now what does this indicate Ind- indicates that there are a lot of false vines out there that you and i are willing to latch on to and for some people it might be facebook uh, for some people it might be alcohol or gambling or some sort of addiction uh, for some people that unhealthy that false vine is an unhealthy relationship that you just refuse to leave or maybe it's money Or maybe it's material possessions. These are false vines. They promise what only God can give, but we convince ourselves that strength can be found in them. But Jesus reminds us that no, strength can only be found in the true vine. It's like what the Apostle Paul discovered when he said in Philippians 4.13, I can do everything, everything through him who gives me strength. I like the way the Amplified Version of the Bible states this. Notice what it says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Again, all things. All, All things for tomorrow. All things for next week or next month or the next interview or the next conversation or the next doctor's appointment, that Jesus is the only true vine, and he can offer the strength that we need, and that strength is readily available to you and me. But to receive it, you have to admit that you're weak, that you can't do it on your own, that you and I are nothing more than branches. Moving on, uh, John 15, verse 2, Jesus continues. Uh, he says, He cuts off every branch that be- in me that bears no fruit, While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, looking at this verse, it's hard to understand why God would bear or prune a branch that bears fruit. You know, it says any branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Now, if you have no experience in gardening, and and I have very little, um, you you don't understand the importance of pruning. I, I worked at an orchard. Uh, When I was a teen and I was taught how to prune an an apple tree, which I guess makes me an expert or something in pruning. But uh, as a kid, as a teen, I didn't understand why you would prune a branch that that looked to be healthy. You know, there was nothing wrong with that branch. It looked perfectly right. But, But a skilled or a careful gardener will tell you the value of pruning even a healthy branch. You know, a gardener prunes a branch, even a healthy branch, and it might look like that he is really destroying the plant, but he's not. Because the gardener knows that if pruned properly, the plant will grow back stronger than before. Now, what does this have to do uh, with you and me and for our need of strength? You know, some of you right now are living in some pretty crazy, desperate circumstances. and, And maybe even to the point that you're mad at God. And you're using up every single bit of your energy, all the strength that you have, fighting God, when maybe instead it's time to, number two, accept God's pruning in your life. You know, it's a tough lesson to learn. It's a tough lesson to endure. It it hurts to get pruned. And and maybe that's why right now some of you are going through some financial stress in your life. And and that stress is there because God is using this time in your life so that you will learn to depend on Him. Or, Or maybe you're single and you've spent so much of your energy, so much of your strength trying to find the right person when God all along the way has really been teaching you that He wants to be that right person, that He wants to be the very center of your life. I mean, maybe God is allowing you to go through some some frightening times with your health right now because He wants you to trust Him. Uh, He wants you to latch on to Him, to realize how weak you really are. Because when you realize how weak you are, then we discover how much strength it is that we really need. You know, some of you are going through a really difficult time in your marriage so that you can learn grace. Uh, so that you can learn forgiveness and patience. And as tough as it is to endure, as challenging as it is to understand, these difficulties are really an act of love from our God. He prunes us so that we will be stronger than we were in the beginning, able to bear greater fruit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. James chapter 1, verses 2 and through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And what does perseverance have to do? It has to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I remember, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we showed a video here in our services of, of a young couple, Rudy and Stacey Henderson, who attend here, and their their powerful story of, Just in the first few years of their marriage how they lost three children before birth and how agonizing that was and and the video would only do it So so much justice uh, For them to really share their story of how painful it was even as followers of jesus to try and understand why they had to go through such difficult circumstances I I was talking to rudy after the services that morning. I said to him I said rudy you and I have no idea how much god is going to use this to encourage someone else And he said, you know what, Paul? He said, you know, midway through that journey, he said, I almost felt like it was God as he was giving us peace, as he was holding on to us, giving us that strength, that he said to me, Rudy, I'm going to use all of this. It's not in vain. But I'm going to use all this not only to encourage your life, but to encourage others in their journey as well. I mean, it's hard to get pruned. You know, and Hebrew says pruning's not pleasant. It doesn't make sense, but God is still working. He is always working. And if you're going through a time of pruning right now in your life, please know this, it's not without a purpose. It's not without a purpose. Well, what next, finally? What does it mean to look for that strength from the vine, from Jesus Christ? Uh, it's these words, and write them down if you're taking notes. It's remain in Him. Jesus says, remain in me. You know, finding strength for today means you remain. Remain. Uh, It's the key to everything. This word is used something like 11 times in this discourse here, uh, in John 15, remain. And I guess you could really sum up the whole teaching even here this morning with that one word. If if you take everything that Jesus says to his disciples before he goes to the cross, it's in the word remain. I mean, you find it a number of times. John chapter 15, um, I'm going to skip over to verse 3. It says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, verse 4, remain in me. Jesus says, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him. Jesus is saying, I know you will need strength. I know your life will be threatened. I know you think will think the world is coming to an end. But Remain. You know, and at first glance, this word means little to us. I mean, it's tough to find confidence in such a word. It's tough to think about remaining in Jesus when our tendency is give me something to do. Uh, give me an action point. Tell me what I need to walk out of this room and do right now for myself. And Jesus says, remain. I mean, we're taught to push ahead. We're taught to survive. We're taught to fight. But Jesus says, remain. You know, and we like to think that we have to do something to receive strength from God. But Jesus says the more, most important thing is to Remain. I mean, back to this whole relationship between the vine and the branch. Again, it's that point of connection. It's that relationship. And Jesus says, remain. Stay close. Stay connected to the vine. You can't create strength on your own. Strength comes from the vine. It comes from the source. It's remembering that Jesus isn't so much attached to you. Is that in the right relationship that right connection, that you're attached to Him. That you need Him. That you are codependent on Him. That our strength comes from the source. That God gets more of you and therefore is able to strengthen you. And, and so Jesus says, remain to His disciples. Stay connected to the vine. And in a few moments when they come and take me away, remain. And in a little while, when you witness them whipping me and beating me, remain. Remain. And when I'm hanging on that cross and crying out with words like, I am thirsty, remain. And the same is true for you. Because when your company announces that they might be doing some more layoffs, remain. Uh, When you discover that your car can't be repaired and you have no idea where the money is going to come from to get another, remain. And when you feel like giving up on God because you don't have the strength to give anymore, remain. Remain. And when the doctor shares with you that they are out of options, remain and be reminded that you're not the vine. You and I were just a branch and remain. I want you to be able to be encouraged this morning at the words of Jesus when he says, I am thirsty. To be reminded that we have a savior that understands that he doesn't simply want to sympathize with you. He's not out to get you, but he is there for you for our strength ready to quench our greatest need, our greatest thirst. Hebrews four fifteen and 16, I'll close with this as the band's coming. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So what do we do? Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you today as we are once again reminded that you cared enough for us to come to this world. And I know that it's easy to take this story of Christ's death on the cross for granted. I'm guilty of this. And I pray that you would use these next few weeks in and out of this room to help set our minds and our hearts on the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, his death, his forgiveness made available to us. God, there are many here today who are in great need of your strength this morning. I, I find encouragement that you know every story, every detail, every circumstance, every need, every want, every bill to be paid, every doctor's appointment upcoming, that interview, that conversation, you know it all. And God, I pray that you would show us today what it means to remain in you. Remind us this morning that you are the vine, that we are just a branch, that strength comes from you, that we can do all things through Christ who gives strength. God, you are stronger than we are. And I thank you that you have offered that strength to each of us. As we sing now, I pray that people all over this room would be be sensing that strength in them even before we go. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.